0: Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Nelson, and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance. The Snow and Ice Cooperative Program, or PSYCOP for short, is Ashto's Winter Maintenance Technical Service Program. One of the primary objectives of PSYCOP and this podcast is to share information and advancements taking place in winter maintenance and road weather. A couple of episodes back, Laura Fay was on talking about a report she completed on alternate methods for de-icing. For this episode, we're going to continue the discussion into alternates by talking about a specific piece of equipment designed to break up an ice pack, basically by brute force and a little finesse. The several states are using these mechanical ice breakers, and here to explain it all is Jed Falgren and Jeff Perkins from the Minnesota DOT. Hi guys, and welcome to Psychop Talks Winter Ops. Well,
1: hello Rick, Jed Falgren here, and uh... Thrilled to, thrilled to join you today. Love the podcast and anxious to talk a little bit more about uh, about icebreakers. Uh, my role here at MnDOT currently is our TISMO director. I've uh, been in that role since early 2020, but for the previous eight years before that, I was heavily involved in our district maintenance and statewide maintenance activities. Thrilled to be here.
2: Hi, Rick. My name is Jeff Perkins. I'm the uh, Operations Manager for District 4 of uh, Minnesota DOT. We cover 12 counties in west-central Minnesota, and it is a pleasure joining you today. Thanks for having us.
0: Well, it's great. I, I know when it, when it comes to winter maintenance and snow and ice, Minnesota's uh, uh, really up there. You, you guys have got it dialed in. You've been dealing with it for a really, really long time.
1: We can count on winters appearing every year, and uh, this year it seems to be a little bit earlier.
0: Yeah, I know. We we were originally set to record this episode uh, a week or so back, and uh, Mother Nature showed up early.
1: <laughs> she gets to decide when she's going to come.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, th- talking about these, um, you know, alternates uh, using salt is a big deal, and and it's it's come under more and more scrutiny um, over the years, and and. I think there's really kind of a trend for folks to try to find ways to deal with snow and ice that, that doesn't involve chemicals. What are some of the ways you guys use to, to get snow and ice off the road with, without the use of chemicals?
1: Well, one of the things, Rick, when we talk about, uh, you know, putting our heavy metal to it, uh, we we have obviously our plows are equipped, equipped with a variety of different blades. Uh, the biggest tool that we've added, uh, early on or many years ago, uh, after a significant Halloween blizzard that hit Minnesota was underbody plows, uh, across, um, much of our fleet. In fact, all of our fleet now. Uh, so that has been our, a big push, but we're using motor graders. Uh, we'll be using, uh, tow plows and those things that we can get the snow off the roadway quicker and, and keep it scraped thin. Uh, but what we did find that, uh, when we get sometimes, uh, get behind or snow comes down quickly and we get compaction built up, uh, we needed something that we could count on and uh, we looked uh, the motor graders would work, but uh, the the icebreaker just seemed like a tool that made sense for us to explore and look
0: into. Yeah. So, so what exactly is an icebreaker?
1: Well, it's just a large drum that rotates uh, on the front of our plows. It's at uh, about 1400 teeth uh, that, uh, and it just rides uh, with under its own weight. It mounts onto our plow or in the front of our plow the same way our standard snow plow does. So that means all of our 800 plow trucks can easily be equipped with an icebreaker. And it, as we drive down the road somewhere between you know, 20 and 30 miles per hour, it, uh, it does an amazing job of breaking up that compaction so subsequent operations can pull that material off of the
0: highway. I know you guys have, have done a video, and, and, and I saw that uh, a while back. Uh, it, it really is impressive how, how it does it. So how exactly does this drum work? It, it looks like it's almost like a sheep's foot roller, right? It's got little little knobs or exactly. pegs on it. Yep,
1: and, and those, those sharp points do a, a nice job, essentially, uh, of physically fracturing the ice. If it's cold enough, uh, and obviously they work better colder the better and when it will actually break up the ice but we have found that even if it doesn't completely break up the ice sheet we've found that uh, we can put a brine solution on top of that those holes act as a concentrate an area to kind of add a concentrated amount of brine and that will with much less salt uh, than what normally re- would normally be required to to melt that ice sheet we can begin that breaking up process and and clear away, clear away the roads much quicker.
0: So so how is this different than, than a scarifier blade? I, you know, it sounds like when, when this drum gets done passing, it leaves a very textured, a very rough surface. Um, how is that different than scarifier blades?
2: You know, we've used
1: scarifier blades um, around the state. And one of the, our big, greatest concern about that scarifying blade is it takes an incredibly talented operator uh, to not create additional damage or additional damage to the roadway surface itself. Um, they can be a great tool, uh, but the icebreaker allows us to, and I would say in many cases, in some cases, it actually breaks up better than what our uh, motor grader blade uh, with the scarifying blade can do. It covers the ground a little bit quicker, and uh, there's just a variety of reasons, and it's much more operator forgiving. Essentially, there's no uh, hydraulic down pressure where we're forcing the the, the drum into the pavement uh, there's concern and, and, and certainly Jeff is Jeffs group is participating in a study now to do a more thorough review of the damage but in the in the years that we've been using them we are not seeing anything that is uh, been able to, we've been able to see in the spring and so that's probably the greatest advantage of over a scarifying blade
0: so how long how long have you had uh, these uh, icebreakers in the fleet? We purchased uh, put three of them into our
1: fleet in 2015, uh, late part of that that winter. Uh, did some testing that winter and then the following winter. And those three were located geographically, you know, the northern part of our state, central part of our state, and southern Minnesota. And then we had good enough performance that we said at that point in time, let's expand it. So by uh, before the start of the Winter in 2017, we added. Uh, we had by then and added at least five. Actually, I think seven more. And right now, we are up to 19 across the state as more and, and more districts incorporate this into their more daily routine uh, in fighting snow.
0: Nice. So, so Jeff, you say you're working on a study about damage. Um, you know, with a, with a scarifier blade on a motor grader. You know, you can you can put some down pressure on on it. Um, I've seen. I guess, videos of, of different icebreakers. Uh, it seems like they're always mounted on a, on a loader, uh, but you've got them on a, on the a replacement for the plow on the truck. Um, give us a little feedback. How, how was all of that working? You, you, why did you decide to, to mount it on a loader instead or a snow plow instead of a loader? Um, how did, how did that all come to be?
2: Well, Rick, as, as Jed mentioned, the department purchased three of the Rotary Drum icebreakers about five years ago, uh, 2015. I think we first kind of learned about this from the Alaska DOT. They were using them quite extensively up there. And, and as we looked in and did some research, we thought, you know, this is really a tool that we want to look into. So the department made the initial purchase, and it, it didn't take us long in our district to figure out that this is, this is really a tool that we need to use more of. About that same time, we had a research project that we had funded where we were, we were awarded the, the funding to purchase a, a motor, motor, motor grader-mounted scarifier. And we started running them side by side and, and kind of doing some checking and figuring out. It didn't take us long to determine that that, that rotary drum on the truck was, was a whole lot easier to operate, as Jed mentioned earlier, than the, the hydraulic scarifier on the motor grader. We've not tried the loader ones like you mentioned, um, but we have tried the two of these extensively. And the, the rotary drum on the truck is is very easy, uh, quick learning curve. And as Jed mentioned, we're not seeing much of anything for surface damage on the roads. In fact, you can't even hardly tell that the teeth on our units have been used. They, they look almost like they're brand new. We've, we've since added three additional of the rotary drum units in our district we're now up to four of those along with the the one motor graded scarifier and, and as he said that one's just a whole lot harder you need a very experienced operator in order to keep from damaging the road and, and even at that unfortunately we can see quite a bit of surface damage um, and as you mentioned MnDOT is going to be starting a research project to try to determine are our rotary drum units causing any damage? We don't think so. We're not seeing the visible signs of that, but we're going to do some additional checking to make sure that there's no damage to the pavement structure itself that we can't see from the surface.
0: How how are the uh, how are the crews? Uh, do they they accept this new piece of equipment? Uh, <clears throat> is this something that that they like to be first in line to grab a hold of?
2: I think that's the amazing thing, Rick. Is that our 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 frontline operators have really bought into this technology. You know, and, and part of why the department's been looking at this too is is the environmental impacts of salt and the high cost of salt. In our district, I mean we're upwards in some locations of close to $150 per ton of salt last winter. And and our operators understand that 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 money that we're putting out the window for salt is is stuff that can't be used for for purchasing other needed needed things as well. So they've really bought into this. Um, they will actually, some of our rural routes are over 100 miles in length, and as the snowfall starts to slow and they feel they can keep up with it without having to have their front plow on and simply using their their underbody blade, they'll actually come back to the shop and they'll drop their front plow and they'll hook up a, a rotary drum icebreaker and they'll head out on their route and they'll they'll plow with the underbody and if they get to an area of compaction, they'll drop the icebreaker and when they get to the end of the compaction they'll pick it up and they'll continue down the road and they'll drop it at the next spot you know when you've got 100 lane mile routes in some of those rural areas you're going to get compaction there's just no way around it and and they've they've really supported the fact that this is a good tool to help them do their jobs
0: you know you uh you mentioned there was a uh, you have this little uh, story that you tell about uh how it was used uh when you got uh, a significant amount of ice on the road, it was, what is it, a, you, you had a water line, a water main that broke in the middle of wintertime? That
2: you... is one of the challenges and the unknowns that you face in the world of maintenance. And like you said, Rick, is as, as interesting as maintenance can be, sometimes it can be quite challenging and frustrating as well. And what happened in that situation was Highway 59 through Pelican Rapids, Minnesota, uh, had a water line freeze. And... And broke, and unbeknownst to us, there was a huge void that had developed from a from a leak, and um, it had actually washed away and created a huge void that it was unsafe for traffic. We had to shut down that whole highway, that's a that's a major truck route and and traffic route with with no good state highway do, detours, and we had to, in the matter of hours, get a, a county road detour that covered about twenty miles in length. It was covered with hills and curves, and in some areas, three to four inches of compacted snow and ice. And uh, without the icebreakers, I don't know what we would have done. I mean, we'd have been out there scraping with motor graders for, for dozens of hours, if not even, even over the course of a couple of days to get that, that route cleared for the detour. And instead, what we were able to do was, was go out there with, with an icebreaker, go over the, the surface of the compaction and all the compacted areas, we followed that up with a, a truck-mounted uh, tow, tow behind tow plow carrying about 1,800 gallons of, of brine mixed with RG8. I think it was about 60% salt brine and 40% of a calcium chloride product. Uh, RG8 was the was the actual product name. We we pierced the surface with the with the uh, icebreaker. We put the brine down behind it. Waited about 30 to 40 minutes, and then came behind with, with underbodies and motor grater and most of that compaction off there were some areas that required a a second application of of the icebreaker followed by the by the brian rg8 mixture and within about three to three and a half hours that entire 20 mile detour route which was covered with compacted ice and snow uh, was clear and and bare and wet and and ready and safe for traffic for the for the state highway traffic that we had to detour and that was not a one or two day detour that was that was a multi-week detour, and thank God we were able to get it clear because it would have been awfully dangerous for traffic traveling on it with all that ice.
0: That sounds like quite a success story. Um, what what are your operating guidelines? You know, you you mentioned that um, you know operators will will take the front plow off and and use it, but but do you have any like specific operating guidelines about like how thick the pack needs to be, or or a particular set of circumstances, whether it's the beginning or the end of the storm, or how, how do you uh, what kind of operating guidelines do you have for for using the icebreaker?
2: When we first purchased the units, we we more or less limited our operators to anything with an inch or more of compaction. and we really monitored that and, and kept pretty tight reins on it until we got some experience with it. But it didn't take long for us to see that that it was having tremendous results with with very little, in fact, almost no visible Scarring to the surface, so we we very quickly started to decrease that compaction requirement, and we dropped down to three quarters of an inch, and then we dropped to a half an inch, and, and now we're down at about a quarter of an inch. And, and in fact, we at this time we don't actually have any written guidance requiring when our operators can use it. We we feel that they're extremely well trained and qualified, and. And uh, we've not seen any damage with that, that quarter-inch compaction, so we're letting them make those decisions, and they're doing a good job with it. Now, as I mentioned, we are going to be doing a, a research project where we'll have a consultant come on board and, and do some analysis to determine if is there some sub, subsurface and is there any uh, pavement structure damage that we can't see from the top, but... Uh, this time we're not seeing anything we'll, we'll obviously we'll have to modify our practices if, if that project happens to show that there is something that's not visible but we're really hopeful that that we're not going to have any problems if we can continue with that quarter inch
0: mm-hmm. wh- what speed do they usually run at
2: usually somewhere between 20-25 miles an hour uh, if, if possible we'll, we'll even it down a little bit but when they're traveling on, on those roadways, we don't like to go a whole lot slower than that because of the fact that you've got traffic coming up behind you at pretty good speeds, and, and then you get a safety impact as well. But you start getting too much faster than that, you start getting some bouncing of the of the icebreaker, but for the most part, 20 to 30 miles seems to be working quite well.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now, I know Minnesota does a really good job of monitoring the amount of salt that you use. Have you seen the icebreaker have an impact on, on the amount of salt that y'all are using?
2: We, we definitely have in our district. Yes, we, and that's part of why we we purchased all the units that we've got. Like I mentioned, we were paying upwards of between a hundred and $150 per ton at almost all of our 17 truck stations across our district. And at that cost, I mean, you, you burn, you burn through a lot of money in a hurry snowstorm if you're putting salt out. So we've we've really focused, as Jed mentioned earlier, on, on all the mechanical methods. You know, we're we're utilizing the icebreakers, we're using the underbots, we're using the front plow, the wings. We've invested, we've got eight tow plows on the roads now. So a big part of it right now is mechanical usage, uh, including the icebreaker being a big part to deal with the compaction. And then I think an equally important and, and maybe even more so is the, the use of, li- of liquids. As Jed mentioned earlier, the icebreakers are extremely effective, especially the, the colder it gets, the better as far as fracturing that ice versus just piercing the holes. But the beauty of it is regardless of which it is, if it's punching holes or, or fracturing the ice, is following that up with, with liquid chemical in the form of salt brine or salt brine mixed with the, with alternative chemicals, that really gets through those holes and down to the surface. And that's what creates that debonding action that we found.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that, that really is a, you know, when you stop and think about it, the, you know, you're concerned when you put liquids down that, that you know, it flows off the road. And, and having that very rough textured surface keeps those liquids right there where you want them to be.
2: Yes, it, it just allows the, the chemical to get down to that surface and, and create that, that debonding action that's so necessary and so effective it to help to remove that compaction.
0: <clears throat> you know, I don't want to get... Put you on the spot with respect to costs and, and things like that. But but how does how does uh, an icebreaker sort of compare cost wise with the other pieces of equipment that you you have in your fleet? Um, you know you 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 have to make these hard budget decisions. You know about uh, what's going to give me the the most benefit for my my investment. Um, how does the how does the icebreaker stack up? On from a benefit cost kind of point of view, and and and, you know you might not actually have numbers, but but I'm sure you have some some anecdotal evidence about about that.
2: Well, I'll start on that a little bit, Rick, and I'm sure Jed will have more to add too. You know, ice breakers when we first started purchasing them were were around thirty five thousand dollars per unit, roughly. Uh, I believe that cost is starting to rise up a little bit more, maybe, maybe pushing 40, even forty-five, fifty thousand 50,000 by this time. Because uh, again, we started buying these about five years ago. The beauty, as he mentioned earlier, is that they're all standard as far as they fit all of our standard plows. We we just remove the plow and, and hook up to the plow mount with the icebreaker. So it's a it's a pretty easy swap over. So there's not a lot of additional labor cost involved to, to hook that thing up. Um, I don't really know of a lot of other tools to compare it to. You know, we, we could compare it to, say, a tote for example, um, which is going to give you more coverage area, but that that plow won't necessarily do much for, for the compaction as, as, in the same way as an icebreaker. Uh, just for cost comparison, the tow plow with the hydraulic mounts and fittings you need to have on the truck, um, special sander in order to, to uh, deploy chemical, you might be looking at somewhere in that hundred and thirty to $150,000 range in order to, to fully implement and, and put a tow plow on the road. But as far as other other equipment, uh, you know, motor graders are typically used for, for removing compaction. You know, a motor grader, I don't even remember what the cost would be. I'm guessing maybe 250000 somewhere in that ballpark. Jed, do you have any additional thoughts?
1: You know, I, I think you you kind of hit on it. One of the things that's been very important for us is to find that variety of tools. Uh, you know, the, the old timers have always told, told me, explained to me that you know, each winter storm has its own personality, and you know whether what you've got. You have rising temps, you have falling temps, heavy snowfall rates, or long routes, and those those all lend themselves to different uh, different setups. And what the icebreaker just seems to fit that, fill that nice niche. Of you know, just in Jeff's example that we had for the, the county road detour. Um, that was a road that, for local traffic, was probably fine, but it was now being asked to be a state highway. And uh, that, that changes the circumstance. And what the icebreaker gives us is just a, a, a tool that can, can react very quickly. And you know, if you're saving the money on, on salt, that's huge. If you're saving money on time, and certainly from a traffic operations, if you're improving safety, um, at this point in time, we certainly feel that it is a cost-effective and time-effective. For us to have in our fleet, and that will continue to grow.
2: I think the other thing I'll throw out there too, Rick, is that there's there's really very little maintenance on these. You know, there's no engine that you need to deal with. There's there's no tires or anything. It's basically the drum with, with as Jed mentioned, about 1,400 teeth on it. And and after after three, four, five years of use, we are we are not seeing much of anything for wear on those teeth. So the, the maintenance costs and the ownership costs on these are extremely low.
0: Uh, no so no hydraulics no you just it's just like a regular steel plow you just mount it up and away you go
2: that is correct
0: awesome um it sounds like you guys are pretty good proponents for this for this piece of technology is is there anything that <clears throat> you want to say about it uh, that that we haven't hit on
2: I think I think the other thing I'll add Rick is is as I mentioned we have four of the rotary drum Icebreakers in our fleet in District Four right now, and we're already planning to add a fifth for next year. We've got we've got our district broken into five different sub areas, and and our staff does an amazing job at sharing the equipment across the sub area lines. But but even at that, we we feel we need more. So we're going to add another one next year, and and that'll get us one in each of our five sub areas. And I wouldn't doubt down the road as funding becomes available. I wouldn't doubt if we increase that even higher.
0: Well, you know, like you say, uh, every storm has its own personality, and and you know, when it comes to to getting that that pack off the road to to getting back to bare pavement, the uh, anything you remove mechanically is is that much you won't have to move, remove with chemicals. So it sounds like the uh, these icebreakers are really a win win uh, kind of proposition.
1: Absolutely, that's one of the things that's really drawn our attention to this, and. You know at, at Mindana, you know we, we pride ourselves on you know trying to look at what are the up and coming things and there, and there may be something at some point in time you know, a few winters down the road that we say maybe we like better than the icebreaker but at this point in time it is a tool that you know all of the upsides we have experienced uh, from when we initially analyzed this and the downside I mean, when, you, when you talk about you know one potential downside when you ask the, the manufacturer um, what does it cost when the drum wears out you know, it's almost the cost of a, a new a new unit, and you think, wow, that'll be a problem. But when we start to experience that they aren't wearing out, uh, that that problem quickly gets set to the side. So when the upsides are up higher than you expected, and the downsides aren't happening, uh, you know, you've got a solution that works.
0: Well, outstanding. Well, um, I want to thank you guys for for joining me here on on Sci-Cup Talks with Ross and talking about your experiences with this piece of equipment. Um, it sounds like it's, it's certainly something that, that anybody that's dealing with uh, compacted snow and ice uh, maybe, ought to, maybe ought to take a look at.
1: Well, we would certainly encourage that, and, and certainly reaching out to anybody here at the department uh, to talk more about it. We're happy to, happy to
0: share uh, what we've learned. Yeah, so, so what I'll do is I'll put your, uh, your email addresses in our uh, show description, so if folks uh, want to reach out directly to you, uh, they can. And I'll also put uh, a link to the the video that I saw, so you so uh, everybody can sort of see this icebreaker in action there at uh, the Minnesota DOT. And we'll keep uh, we'll keep our eyes on your uh, research and and all of that to to see if anything interesting pops out.
1: Fantastic, Rick! Thank
0: you so much. Appreciate the chance. Thanks,
2: Rick. It was great talking with you today.
0: Well, and thanks to you too for being on uh, Psychop Talks Winter Ops and and sharing your experiences with this piece of equipment. I'm I'm an avid
1: listener um, and uh,
0: appreciate the work you guys do. That's it's a it's a
1: fantastic tool, and and I know that uh, there there are more people in Minnesota listening to it and there'll be more, and and I appreciate the good work.
0: Now, PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and pretty much all the podcast platforms to make it easy for you to access. Give us a like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And of course, uh, you can still find all of our episodes on the PSYCOP website at psychop.transportation.org, along with other great winter maintenance resources. Now, as one of Ashto's technical service programs, PSYCOP is possible because of the financial support from the DOTs who make an annual contribution of $4,000. It's those states who keep the lights on here at PSYCOP and episodes of PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops coming. If you're wondering if your state is a PSYCOP state or how to become one, just drop me an email and we can get it all sorted out. Thanks for listening in, and until next time, stay safe out there.